Well, it's good to be gathered together to read and to hear the word of the Lord, and it's a privilege to have seen the baptism of a minor. I'm not going to say a minor prophet, but he has a minor prophet's name, and we heard that. Uh, We thank the Lord for these children. Today we're going to continue our studies from uh, the letter of James. Uh, Last week we had the first part of James chapter 5 down to verse 6 expounded for us and uh, part of today's uh, meditation was borrowed by last week's preacher. But that was for a good reason. So I'm going to return the compliment and borrow a little from the previous verses uh, that come before James 7. Before we read these words, let's ask God's blessing on his word. Our gracious Lord, we give thanks to you that you are the one who speaks to us, that your word is active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It reaches into the depths of our beings. And we pray, Lord, that as we seek to understand from your word today what you are saying to us, that we would be transformed even into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ-likeness may increase in us. We pray that he would increase and that we would decrease. Hear us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like us just to read uh, uh, these few verses. We're going to be looking at verses 7 uh, to 12, but I'd like to refer back to the previous section where the Lord's people were being oppressed and were being unjustly dealt with by those who are in power and in authority. Uh, This is James addressing these people uh, from verse 6. We can read, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers. Here is James changing his audience, as it were. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. It's a question that arises when we read uh, the letter of James And we come to this part of it, towards the end of it, in fact, where the Lord's people have been experiencing suffering 
and some acute difficulty. The question arises for you and for me, and we, we have to address this to ourselves. Are you experiencing some kind of acute difficulty in your life right now? What's it like? Uh, what might be called suffering in your experience? What kind of hard circumstance are you going through right now, if there is one? Well, if there isn't, perhaps we ought to be thankful. But for the Lord's people, suffering seems to be part of their lives. As Paul writes to the Philippians, he reminds them that it is not only given for them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but to suffer for them. So what should we do if we are in such a situation, if we're hemmed in, if we're uh, weighed down, oppressed? And what should we not do? Well, uh, the, uh, the, the writer James here seems to be telling us to do certain things and to avoid doing other things. Going back uh, to the, the passage, but particularly at the end of verse 6, isn't it interesting that before he addresses the brothers and sisters, the church, the Christians, uh, he addresses those who are maligning them and mistreating them. He says about the Lord's people, he does not resist you. What a lesson that has to be for us when we are so prone to reacting in the wrong way when oppression and difficulties come into our lives. And this, my friends, is not just for you out there, it's for the preacher as much as for anybody else. And I'm uh, uh, needing to hear what God is saying to us here as much as anybody with regard to this patience in suffering as this section is in the ESV headed. Well, the first thing that we have here is uh, at the end of verse 6 where there are certain things, principles, that are brought to our attention. And the first one is this non-resistance idea. Now, it's all tied in with patience, of course, but I just want to say a few words about that. And we notice in verses 4 and 5, though treated unjustly, uh, we've, we find, as we've read, that they're not reacting or retaliating against the Lord, as we're prone to do. Now, this non-resisting we find taught by the Lord Jesus and in Paul's uh, letters. It's consistent with other parts of Scripture. And uh, I'd like to just read briefly uh, one of these parts of Scripture where it's quite clear in the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord is teaching his audience as to how they should behave as uh, subjects of the kingdom of heaven. In, in, cha in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel and at verse 38, words with which you may be familiar, but they're always challenging. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Similar language being used there by the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well, and so on. So there we have an example from 
Sermon on the Mount, and there are other passages in the New Testament particularly where this non-resistance is being echoed. For example, Romans 12 and at verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, at a human level, this is a very difficult situation to be in. Our tendency is to fight back or uh, retaliate, uh, punch back, if you want to put it that way. But the Lord is asking us not to be like the world because this is a worldly attitude of mind. And what uh, James is propagating here is that in their suffering, God is at work in his people through their suffering, developing them until he comes. And that is a very important aspect of this passage because at the beginning of the section, at verse 7, he is saying, be patient, therefore, in view of the difficulties that you are going through and all that that is costing you, in spite of that, Brothers, be patient. And there's a a time lapse, if you like. We don't know when that time is going to come to an end. But it is defined here by the coming of the Lord. And that is what the Lord's people are being asked to focus on. Not what happens tomorrow, today or tomorrow, and so on. Previously in the letter, James has been talking about planning for today and tomorrow. This is the beacon that the Lord's people have to have as their major point of reference, the coming of the Lord. And likewise, we can look for the coming of the Lord, whether he comes before we die or whenever he comes. That is what we have to look forward to. And in the meantime, God is working out his character through the suffering of his people. And therefore, he asks us, secondly, to be patient. First, don't retaliate. Don't resist. Just be patient. And the word here is slightly different from what's found earlier in the letter in James 1 and verse 3. You go back right to the beginning of the letter. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That is how the ESV is translating this patience that is spoken of here. Steadfastness. It means, according to Motir, one of the New Testament commentators, the temper which does not easily succumb under suffering, which normally means to be patient in reference to things or circumstances bearing down on one. Now, it also, it's interesting that the word that James uses here is different to what he uses in verse 1, which is Uh, a a different Greek word which means to suffer long, long suffering, self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate against a wrong. It's this idea of not going off the rails. Just keep on down the middle path. Don't veer to the left or to the right. It's like, uh, for example, 
somebody who is suffering a medical condition and has been hospitalized, a patient holding out under some sort of difficult trial of illness, be it mental or physical. It's a, like a long retracted, a long protracted restraint, rather, of the soul from yielding to passions of various kinds, especially as we see here and in other parts of the scriptures, anger. Thought links itself naturally with the preceding verse, uh, the righteous does not resist. And this patience, see how uh, he says in verse 7, the first of three examples, see how the father, the farmer rather, waits for the precious fruit of the earth and being patient about it until it receives the early and the morning, uh, the late rains rather. The farmer in James 5 7, is waiting trusting, trustingly for rains that he is, he's really not sure whether they'll come or not, but he's trusting that they will come in order to water the seed that has been sown and later on to water the growing plant so that it yields its fruit. The farmer had no recourse for water except to trust that regular rains would come from above. And so it is with us. And the, another example he uses is the example of the prophets. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And further down in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, there are many examples of the prophets that we can refer to. This was the only scripture that was available to those whom uh, James was addressing at the time. And there are many examples given to us of prophets under hardship and really almost bending, breaking under the strain. And we read about Elijah earlier on. And, you know, it's very comforting later on in, in this very chapter, in verse 17, Elijah is brought up before us as an example of a man of prayer. But what I like uh, about James's description of Elijah is this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Sometimes we forget about that. And it was only the grace of God and the mercy and the compassion of God, as John mentioned earlier on, that was in, brought to him. He was running away. He wanted to chuck it in. I've had enough. I can't take any more. But the Lord comes to him compassionately and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you running away? And then there's other examples. Uh, I would just refer you to what Isaiah and Jeremiah had to go through in their experience uh, what God himself asked them to do in order to get his message across. Uh, you can read Isaiah chapter 20 and Jeremiah chapter 20. These are two examples. And then we come into the New Testament where Paul speaks about his own sufferings, this prophet of the New Testament. Even before that, John the Baptist. But then when we read Hebrews 11... On the latter part, then 
we, have, we would come to be told about the real suffering of uh, prophets of the Old Testament, proclaimers of the word. And that's what it says. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. This is persecution that is being talked about here. And we read in Hebrews 11, just a few verses at, uh, towards the end of the chapter. What more shall I say, says the writer to the Hebrews, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, and so on. That's an encouragement for the audience of James here. And each of these examples, I think, teaches us to place our trust in the Lord in difficult circumstances. We're all in the middle of a really difficult time, as was brought to our attention. This COVID-19 pandemic has created challenges, not just for the world in general, but has created challenges for the Lord's people. And we have to ask ourselves, how am I conducting myself in the midst of this situation of which God is in control? His ways are higher than our ways, as the heavens are high above the earth. And his thoughts, the same. But these examples are there for us to trust in the Lord that will eventually vindicate us for our trust in him when he returns. There we have it. We have to be keeping that in mind until he comes. So we're asked uh, to be also to place our trust in the Lord, to be steadfast in the meantime in our service to him. And of course, such patience or long-suffering, whatever you want to, to, to term it, is not easily acquired. And we can't find it in our own hearts. We have to go to another source to find that steadfastness, to find that strength that we need in times of difficulty. And I think uh, James was making that very clear. There is a need to apply another principle we have the, the, the not retaliate, not uh, to be impatient, but to be patient. So there's non-retaliation, patience, and there's also establishing hearts. This is what he says here. You also be patient in verse 8 of James 5. Establish your hearts, and again, for the coming of the Lord. Keeping this in focus all the time. How much you and I, my dear friends, need to have the coming of the Lord at the forefront of our attention. We're inclined to be very short-term people. Short-term in the sense of just looking ahead to what's going on this coming week. Diaries filled up maybe till the end of the year. But we have to go much, much beyond that. We don't know what a day or an hour may bring forth, but it's the coming of the Lord that we have to keep in mind. He's coming as the just judge to give as 
as people deserve. It's a solemn thought, but it encourages us to know that in our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are judged because we are in him. And this is what the Lord's people need to be aware of all the time. Establish your hearts. I think the idea of the double-mindedness that is mentioned here in, in James's letter is being addressed. It's saying, don't be double-minded, but be single-minded. Establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Find strength from your hearts. Afford stability to it. Uh, up in uh, Lindhurst Avenue, that uh, dark street in Lochie, in Dundee, uh, they've been erecting new lampposts just over the past week. And it's quite interesting how uh, they've got to dig down deep a hole uh, through the pavement. They've got to break through, uh, take away slabs or break through the tarmac and dig down deep. And then the lampposts are erected. And it's very interesting that each new lamppost uh, stands firm and absolutely pointing vertically, uh, I would assume, perfectly. And that is the kind of steadfastness. You know, uh, we can use other uh, illustrations of steadfastness. I take walks with Rosemary quite often to Camberdown Park, and you see trees there, and they're rooted deeply in the ground, and they're steadfast. And so that's the, the steadfastness, the, the firmness that James is talking about, establishing our heart. And it involves strengthening our, our, our hearts in a certain way. It's not by going out and uh, finding comfort purely in the creation, although that is good in its own way. But we have to, to strengthen our hearts so as to be patient and not retaliate and so on against evil being done against us against the Lord's people, if that is happening. And the key to establishing our hearts is nothing else, nothing other than the Word of God. That is where we find bread for life at a spiritual level, inwardly. It is the Word of God, the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, which are the only rule to direct us how we may glorify God and enjoy Him. Our faith in God through the word is made stronger. Our love for him and for one another is deepened. There are many times when we fail to avail ourselves of the sustenance. And God, like he did for Elijah, provides us nourishment through his word, even in the most difficult of situations. Patience and strength to not resist is developed. And uh, when Paul was writing to the Romans, he, he, in Romans 15, he, he speaks of uh, hearts rooted and established in God's word. And that's what we have to do. To search the scriptures and to find in them the Lord himself. And talking about going through difficulties, surely the best example we have of suffering is in the suffering servant himself. 
Some things we are likely to do when under stress due to unjust oppression or suffering happen. You know, we're we're liable to do the wrong thing. And this is where James comes to the negative exhortations he has in this short section. The first one is, don't grumble. Verse 8, sorry, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Isn't it interesting that the grumbling or not doing of it is addressed to the Lord's people, to the Christians, in terms of their relationship with one another. And isn't that so true, especially in our own experience? When others oppress us, when difficulties come into our lives, we are likely, are we not, to vent our frustrations uh, on those closest and dearest to us. For example, those of you who go to work, you may find it hard at your work for whatever reason. How often have you had a bad day at work and you take it out on your dearest, your nearest and dearest at home? And so it is with the Lord's family. We so often are bad to our brothers and sisters for, for no good reason. It cannot ever be justified. And brothers and sisters are likely to direct their frustrations. Yes, this is the reality of it, towards each other when being oppressed or stretched or frustrated or annoyed or whatever it is. Fuses become short. May the Lord help us to shun grumbling. This was the experience of the children of Israel when they were in, in the, in the world, on the wilderness journey. Poor Moses, what he had to tolerate. And he, were, he, he was desperate to have the Lord deal with the people in such a way as they didn't grumble. And this grumbling, it, it's very serious. You know, sometimes we take it, we take it, oh, well, that was just a, 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 a fit of, you know, red mist that came down on me for a minute there. There's no, there's no excuse, and we're all guilty of it, if we're honest. The sin of grumbling is serious. Paul makes that out, uh, makes that clear for us when he was writing to the Corinthians, and he was equating the sin of grumbling with other sins, such as sexual immorality, things that are, in, in, a, in a very real sense, self-worship, idolatry, self-aggrandizement. But Paul reminds the Corinthians that they said they all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Here is the Lord Jesus being referred to in the context of the Lord's people in the Old Testament. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Is God pleased with you today? Is God pleased with me? How is my attitude really towards other people? You know, it's very difficult for us at this time. When I look out here, I see people. Ma, I can't even see your faces. I, can't, I don't know how you're feeling inside. I can't see you yawning either. But uh, to be serious, the sin of grumbling is also serious. The same Lord who will judge those who oppress others 
will also judge those who murmur and grumble. Don't let the sins of others cause us to be condemned by our mistreatment of our brethren and sisters in the Lord. And as well as not to grumble, finally and briefly, I just want to make a mention of verses uh, 12. uh, Verse 12, above all. I wonder why he says there, above all. Do not swear. Above all, I think there is love comes into the context of of this. Remember Paul writing to the Corinthians speaks of uh, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Above all, my brothers, out of love, we might say, do not swear either by heaven or by earth. Now, I'm not going into this in great depth because time has gone. This is something else one is likely to do when in trouble. And briefly, Concisely, this means don't make rash promises. I can only bring up the uh, example of Peter. And don't make rash undertakings when he was asked if if he was one of the followers of Christ. He swore that he wasn't, effectively making an oath to the effect that he did not know this man. Don't make rash promises says James to his audience. Don't cross your heart. It's very easy for us to do various things in terms of uh, making a promise or confirming something that we are going to do or going to overtake. And there's much more that one could say with regard to what, what was going on in the Old Testament with, in terms of, I'm not going into that because time doesn't allow us. Yes, in the, in the, days, in the early days of the New Testament, Jews were prone to swear uh, in, in different fashions, making distinctions between oaths. But both Jesus and James condemn this distinction. The solution is to refrain from oaths altogether and stand by your word. The least said we might say, the better. It's an interesting, just a short passage as we come uh, to the end of our uh, meditation today. A short passage from the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, which speaks of the use of the mouth at the beginning of chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To uh, To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And so on. So in times of oppression, hardship, difficulty, those who are God's children have to not resist, not retaliate. They've got to be patient and they've got to establish their hearts. And there are these two things here that they are not to do, and that is to grumble. It's an attitude that has to be avoided and can only be quenched by the Spirit of God applying Christ. So in times of oppression, we have another powerful weapon 
in our arsenal, do we not? And that is prayer and this mini-series, this series in in James is to be continued uh, in the following verses, the section beginning, the prayer of faith. I just like to conclude with these words. I didn't know how to sum it up uh, in my own words, but I want to use God's word in order to bring this study to a conclusion and pray that the Lord would help us. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 37. And we can use them as a prayer to God as we bring this to a conclusion. Psalm 37 at verse 3, reading to verse 9, reads, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. May the Lord bless to us our meditation on his holy and infallible word. Amen.